0: Scripture reading will be coming from the book of Deuteronomy again this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 down to verse 7 as we continue our series on godly parenting, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Good morning, church. Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 7, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I commend thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest at thine house, and when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, this is the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then also I do plan to visit Ephesians 6 as well as Second Samuel 23. And so if you want to drop a piece of paper into those, we'll be headed there uh, during our time together. As Christians, we have a presupposition. A presupposition, uh, the meaning to the word presupposition is a belief. It's a belief that I have that I come to the world with. And as Christians, we have a presupposition. Uh, Hopefully you came with this belief when you came into the church service this morning. And perhaps it would be even a presupposition or a belief that you live your life with. And that presupposition is this. God knows better than I do. I'll say it again. God knows better than I do. That should flow out in multiple different ways in our lives. Uh, Added on to that idea is this, that God does not hide what He wants for us from us. In fact, He has revealed it to us in his word. And so we have two presuppositions now. One is that God knows better than I do. And second, God has shown me what he wants for me. I hope that you don't live a life that says, oh, Christianity is that one thing and spiritual is one thing, but body side, I hope you don't think that way. Because the things that we believe about God and His Word then flow out in our life in the way we live. Your actions are a revelation of your beliefs. The things you do show what it is that you truly believe. It's impossible for you to say, well, I believe this, but then I act that. And that's why I say, God knows better than we do, and He has revealed for us what it is that He wants us to do, He's revealed that in His Word. There are things in our lives that we can clearly look to the Scriptures for, uh, how, and maybe not who, but how do I marry? When it comes time for you to get married, how to do that is outlined in the Scriptures how do I raise my children, or how do I follow God, or how do I interact with my employer, or how do I treat my employees, how do I treat my parents, all of that is right here in this book. I want to remind you again, he knows better than I do, and he's not hiding his will from us. And yet we often forget this when we come to those Stressful moments in life. I'm sure that you, like me, have enjoyed those stressful moments of life. I I can just imagine a mom who's been at home all day with the kids. And there's four-year-old Junior, and he's over there beating the living devil out of the pots and pans. And he just won't stop. And in the middle of this, mom is trying to sweep up the house because she knows dad's going to be home any minute and I'm trying to get food ready and dinner ready for him before he gets home, and Junior just will not stop with the pots and pans. In the meantime, little Susie, two years old, little Susie just vomited. (laughs) Now she's got vomit down the front of her, and the saucepan has the rice boiling. It's now boiling over, and in the middle of it, the phone rings. So many things in this stressful moment of your life as Johnny, and you, ju- you pull the phone out and you look and yes, I have to take this call. Johnny, shut up. Hello, and may the Lord bless your day. <laughs> Grabbing any rag you can find to wipe up the vomit, just turn off the rice. And everybody knows we all like burned rice better anyway, so just let it happen. These are the stressful moments of our life. And can't we all use a reminder that God has allowed those stressful moments in our lives for our growth and our sanctification, but oh, how we forget these things right in the middle of it. The way we act and the way that we go about our life, the actions that we do come out of the beliefs that are in our heart. And I can just imagine that in that stressful moment, it's hard to remember it. But friend, can I remind you that if you've got your beliefs set well, when those stressful moments come, you're going to be reminded. Johnny's beating on the pots, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. Johnny's beating on the pots, but God's got that moment for Johnny and for you. This is important for us to remember that God's using life In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7, you're going to be doing this teach them while you go through life. It's not I'm going to send my kids off to Sunday school so that they'll learn how to obey God. No, God has given that responsibility to you. Teach them when you are walking in the way and when you are sitting at the house and when you are going to bed and when you're rising up. This is a day today in the stressful, hectic moments of, Johnny, would you stop with the pots and pans? And your sister just vomited, and I, I need to take this phone call, and what are we going to do about the food? You see, God's allowed those things to come up in life because He's helping you. And, and it's good for us to remember these things. I said this over the last two weeks, that God is giving us things in His Word to help us with training our children and raising up our children, and we can boil them down to two. We need to teach our children two things. Teach our children to know God and teach our children to obey God. Teach our children to know God and to obey God. I'm very thankful, last week Charlie shared this out on his uh, social media, and, I, I, and I, as just kind of a bystander, I just watched as the comments and the threads came in, and some people wanted to add in a third thing and a fourth thing, and one actually really made a lot of sense, it was that we need to make God known also, and, and I would say, yeah, that sounds right, but the issue is that's also under obey God, because God said to make Him known to the nations. And so we need to teach our children to know God and teach them to obey God. And those other things that happen because of what we've learned from His Word, the commandments to do, fall under this idea of obeying God. God has told us how we're supposed to live. You're there in Deuteronomy 6. Let me read verses 4 down to verse 7 again. I want us to hear that God is using the words for command. Verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And so God's telling us, teach your children. Teach them to know God and teach them to obey God. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at teach them to know God. Teach them to know God by understanding grace. Oh, how our children need to understand what grace is. Grace comes from the throne of God and flows through the cross of Calvary into our lives and then we should be teaching our children what grace is and then also I spoke last week about teaching our children to know God by understanding their purpose why is it that God created them what's the whole meaning of life we have been created to glorify God we are to bring glory to God with our lives and our children need to understand their purpose And then today, I'd like for us to focus on teaching our children to know God by obeying, sorry, teach our children to obey God by obeying you. Sometimes we think God is good and God is all-knowing and God lets us do what we want. That's not how it works. He would be unloving if He just allowed you to do whatever you wanted to do. That would be unloving. You see, boundaries are put in our lives for our protection. I think back years ago, I heard my friend Mark tell this story. Mark grew up in Alaska, and if you know anything about Alaska, it's very cold. They get a lot of snow and ice there. There's also a lot of natural predators in Alaska. Think polar bears, giant eagles. Uh, that will swoop down and kill anything smaller than them. Alaska is a dangerous place. And yet, Mark's family, his mom, got a little Chihuahua dog. Chihuahua dogs come from Mexico. They are not meant to be in Alaska. Uh, And so for the protection of the little Chihuahua dog, I don't remember what the dog's name was, but for the protection of the little dog, uh, they had to keep the dog inside the house. The dog lived inside the house. But there was one thing that that dog wanted, over everything in the whole world, that little dog wanted the outside. Keep in mind that the outside is filled with lots of things that can destroy the life of a little Chihuahua dog, (laughs) namely snow. A Chihuahua's feet are little, tiny, dainty little feet. They don't have any extra padding or hair or anything. Their feet will freeze when they get out in the snow. The eagles are on the sides watching for little chihuahua dogs to come outside for lunch. And every time someone would go to the door, that little dog would run to the door and be, I want to go outside, I want to go outside. And everyone that went through the door had to be told, don't let the dog out. I can just think to myself what a headache that was for their family and he said one day that it happened the door opened and the dog made it outside and the dog just ran across the yard and the, he said in the dog's mind he must have been saying i'm free i'm free i'm free and he said we all should have been saying you're stupid you're stupid you're stupid you see boundaries are in place for our good god gives us commandments he gives us laws he Tells us there's a way that you should live. And by the way, parents, you putting boundaries and commandments in your children's lives is for their good. To remove those commands and boundaries, to remove them, is to be unloving. Now let me show you, I just read verses 4 down to verse 7. I want to show you in the text that God uses words like commands. Commands are meant to be obeyed. Slide your eyes back up to verse number 1. It says, Chapter 6 and verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. Verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. Verse 5. And thou shalt... Verse 6. And these words which I command thee... Do you hear these words? You see... Commandments are meant to be obeyed. God gave commandments for His people to obey, and He put those commandments and it requires obedience that's for our good. It's for our protection. God puts commandments in our lives. And when the sovereign of the universe requires obedience, there is no other option. And so I'll remind you, You're teaching your children to obey God when you're teaching them to obey you. We'll be in Ephesians 6 in a moment, but remember the words, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents, you teaching your children to obey you is at the same time teaching them to obey God. Sometimes we have a misunderstanding and we say, well, we need to display grace in their lives, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Just giving grace in obedience is laziness. It is not teaching them obedience. When you tell Junior to pick up his toys, and he does not pick up his toys, and you come around and say, I'm just going to show him grace and I'll pick up his toys, what you've taught him is that your word doesn't mean anything. You've taught him that he doesn't need to obey you because you'll take care of things. You give the command, and the child is to obey. This is an important thing to understand. Giving grace is a much greater, longer process. Giving grace involves a child understanding, this is the law, and I have broken it. There is a punishment for the law, and yet I am not separated from God forever because of what I've done. Instead, I can can be restored in fellowship. That's grace. But to just give a free pass is neither helpful for you or for your child or for the image of God. And So let us be careful. Paul Tripp gives this statement. He says, if you do not deal with the fundamental heart issue of authority, all good things that you seek to accomplish as God's tool in the life of your children will not work. I'll summarize what he said. If you don't establish authority, in other words, if you don't teach your child to obey, everything else that you work on will fail. It's almost as if we could say this is foundational for the rest of parenting. You must teach your child that you are the authority, and I'll give it to you on a deeper philosophical level, you are the representation of God in the child's life. For the child cannot see God. You want the child to learn to obey God, but you are the visible representation of God in the child's life. So that works like this. God said, children, obey your parents. in the Lord, for this is right, So when your child does not obey you, your child is also disobeying God. Allow that to sink in again. If your child does not obey you, your child is immediately disobeying God. And so on his behalf, it would behoove you as a parent to expect obedience. We'll talk about this at length. I understand that we in our society live within situations that might seem different and might give us excuses to say, well, that doesn't really apply here. I'll give a couple of examples. Perhaps both dad and mom are having to work and maybe even both dad and mom are having to go away for multiple days at a time. Maybe even perhaps both are fly in, fly out. That leaves the child two weeks with somebody else. I understand that this may be the situation that you find yourself in as as a family, but I want to reaffirm that God has put the responsibility in your hand as the parents. It's your responsibility that the child learns to obey. Now, if you have to move away and you're not able to physically be there, You do have the ability to delegate that authority to someone else who will be that authority in the child's life in your absence. Perhaps you've got to go away for two weeks and there's an auntie or maybe it's a grandmother that's going to be there in your place. It is worth it to have the conversation with auntie and child. While I'm gone, she's in charge. Whatever she says you will do and whatever you disobey, she will take care of and when I come back, I will get a report. Delegate that authority. If you are not able to physically be there, delegate that authority. And while I'm on that, I understand that many of us live within multi-generational homes. We have multi-generational homes. I understand that. That also is not a reason for you not to expect obedience in your home. And so maybe, for example, maybe you have your child, but then there's Aunties and uncles and and grandparents may be living in the same home. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. If the Lord allows and the day comes that I need to take care of my own parents in my home, so be it. And so there's nothing inherently wrong with having grandparents in the home. But I will say this, it's very easy for grandparents and aunties to undermine the authority of the parents. This conversation needs to be had regularly. Regularly. God has given the mother and father the authority to teach the child to obey God by obeying them. But if dad says, Junior, pick up your toys, and auntie comes and picks up the toys on his behalf, auntie has just undermined that authority of dad. Dad needs to speak up in that moment. Auntie, thank you. Right now, Junior needs to learn how to pick up his toys. And how many times do we see this happen? We'll talk about the rod in just a minute. How many times have you seen this happen where Junior decides he's not picking up his toys, Dad says, no, you will pick up your toys, and Junior decides to throw a fit on the floor. And Auntie swoops in and picks him up and says, it's going to be okay, it'll be okay. Daddy's just having a bad day, it'll be okay. No, wait a second. We don't do that. Auntie, don't swoop in. Auntie, if you think things are going a little bit awry right now, feel free to ask mom and dad, can we have a quiet conversation in the other room? I feel like maybe there's abuse going on here. Maybe there's a need to speak up from time to time in the other room. But in this moment, in the multi-generational home, mom and dad must establish as the authority in the child's life and maybe that means that there needs to be a conversation with grandma or with granddad that you can't step into this and stop me from being the dad. When you do that, we're teaching the child that my word doesn't mean anything. This isn't a disrespect issue. This is a Bible issue. God called me and told me that I need to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I'm going to do everything that I can to do this. This is a loving conversation. It's not for run you out of the room, Dad. This is loving conversation where I care about my child and so I need to speak to you, Mom, Grandma, Grandpa, Auntie. So let us be careful not to just dismiss and say, it doesn't apply to my home because I have these extra circumstances extra circumstances just means that you need to take extra steps to make it happen. God has put this responsibility in our hands, parents, teach your children to obey God by obeying you. You might ask, well, how do I do this? How do I teach the children to obey? Let me give you a thought here. This comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. and Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I go out on a limb here this morning and say, I doubt any single one of us would want our child to be associated with anything that looks like witchcraft. And yet, if we are not teaching our children to obey, we're allowing them to hang out in a category where we don't want them. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. So let us take these commands and hold on to them. Deuteronomy 5, you're at 6, slide back a page. I want to show you chapter 5 and verse number 16. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God has commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may be well with thee, and the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Uh, So this is from the law, and you might remember, we've said this in previous weeks, that the book of Deuteronomy is the second time that the law was given. Exodus 20 was the first time, Deuteronomy 5 is the second time. This is the time where Moses, as an old man, has gathered all the nation of Israel together, and now he rehearses to them. The first four chapters, he told them these are the things that God has done in our wandering through the wilderness. Chapter 5, this is the things that, these are the things that God has commanded to us. And we came here to Deuteronomy 5 and verse 16, and he says, one of those commands, Honor your father and mother as the Lord thy God has commanded you that, and so here's the promise, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land that the Lord has given you. And so here's a command, honor your parents. It goes together. Obey them, honor them. And so let me speak to children for just a minute. If you're still at home, I want you to listen to me closely. If you're children, obey your parents. Dad says, sweep the floor. Mom says, break the firewood. Go fetch water, help do laundry, sit quietly, mom and dad give a command, children are to obey. Second to that is also a statement, honor your father and mother. Honor looks like this, dad said do it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it cheerfully. How many times have you ever seen mom or dad say to a child, I want you to sit there and be quiet. And they will sit there and... They know if I get up, I'm going to get whipped. But I'm not happy about this. The old saying, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's not honoring. We've been called to honor our parents. And I might make mention of this to those of us that are grown... That honor your parents doesn't end when you leave the house. Honor your parents. This command is repeated in the New Testament. So come over to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, where it finds itself here in Ephesians 6 is unique. I think it's worth pointing out. The Apostle Paul wrote this book, Ephesians, to the believers at Ephesus. By the time he writes, he had started the church. He had pastored the church. He's now left. He's writing back to the church there's a really good chance that Timothy is pastoring the church when he writes. And the things that he writes to the church, first three chapters, are this is who you are in Christ. You have been made alive in Christ. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is how you live your life. And he talks about things like, this is the way you live with your employers, or with your employee, this is how you live your life according, in good walking, standing with the government. At the end of chapter 5, this is how husbands and wives are to relate with each other, and then he comes to chapter 6, and he talks about children with their parents. And what he's going to do here in Ephesians chapter 6 is he's going to repeat Deuteronomy 5. Let me show it to you. Here's Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. You count down through those Old Testament commandments, and you won't find any promises until you get this one. The first one with a promise, and the promise was, if you honor your parents, in general, you're going to live a long life. Honor your parents. That, verse 3, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And so, children are to obey and they're to honor. And parents listen closely when they don't obey, they're rebelling against God. That's why I say teach our children to obey God by obeying you. And so, you might say something like, Junior, go help your sister with the laundry, and he decides that he's going to sit down on the floor and throw a fit about this. Nobody's going to tell him what to do in folding laundry and helping his sister. Of course, that's not in his mind. He doesn't want anything to do with his sister. And the most important thing in all of the world in that one moment is his heart. The laundry's not important. The rest of your schedule for the day is not important. Junior's heart is what's important. And yet, Junior doesn't realize that. All he cares about is somebody's telling me what to do. How is that? and he's exhibiting the rebellion that's in his heart. Here's Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And I know what some of you are thinking, some of you might say, but pastor, the rod, that's old-fashioned. Modern science tells us that there's different ways, and if you use a, a switch and you spank your child, well, then that's, uh, that's going to mess up their psyche. And I think, to, I think to myself, I wonder how much other things of the Scriptures should we toss out since we don't agree with them. Because if you don't agree with that part, then we, maybe we should toss out some other parts, If the scripture says that the rod of correction will drive it far from him, well then maybe, perhaps some people are using the rod improperly. You see, there's a proper way to use it. You realize that just a couple of quick swats across the rear end will get a child's attention very quickly? Very quickly. There's no place for taking a rod and smacking the child across the head. Absolutely not. That's abuse. There's no space for using the rod in anger you get your belt or you get the stick my parents would make us go and cut i told you this a few weeks ago make us go and cut a stick about that bigger round and about that long make us cut that from the tree in the front yard you didn't bring back the wrong size that's for certain <laughs> you're gonna have to go back second round you don't want to go second round second round brings extra swats three swats four swats so get a child's attention very quickly and it doesn't need to be across their back or across their legs Just a couple of swats right across the place where God created you. And that'll do the job. It will get your attention. And in that moment, it's a moment to get the child's attention. But what it does is it shows the child there's a punishment for your sin. You don't swat the kid and walk away. We're trying to teach grace here. There's law that got broken, brings punishment. On the backside of punishment is grace and growth the opportunity to have hope, that, son, we learn from these things and watch what Jesus has done for us and Him giving His life for us. Son, you don't have to live your entire life in sin. You can have freedom from it. And teaching our children what grace actually means will go a long way, but it has to be done with the right tool. And I'll remind you that foolishness, the words in Proverbs 22, foolishness, is bound in the heart of a child. And it doesn't take long to see foolishness in a child's heart. As an infant, a child, you try to lay that little child down, six months old, and you put little Junior down. You're going to lay him down to sleep. Maybe you put him in the belum, or maybe you laid him on his mattress and you put him down and you put him down ever so quietly and then you slide your hand out. Lights are off in the room. Everybody knows, don't make a sound. You try to inch your way out of the room. And suddenly he realizes, hang on a second, I'm not in charge right now, they're about to leave me. And he screams bloody murder. You know what he's doing? Foolishness. He's using his vocal cords. He cannot even form words yet, but he's going to control a 30-year-old woman. And with those vocal cords, he's saying, get your rear end back in here because I'm in charge right now. Foolishness or you see it with a two-year-old. A two-year-old has just learned how, recently learned how to walk, and he's waddling along, and there he is. He's headed to the fire. He can't balance himself. His belly is way out of proportion. His head is too big for his body. His bum-bum is sliding off, and he's waddling towards the fire, and he's reaching out to put his hand on that hot sauce pan. You know better than he does. He doesn't have a clue. And he's reaching out to grab the saucepan, and you put your hand out to move his hand back away. No, don't do that, Junior. And you know what he does? Swat your hand. Meh, meh, meh. Foolishness. It's bound in the heart of a child. I remember when one of our daughters, and I won't tell you which one, I know which one, but I remember when when one of our daughters was about two years old. uh, Becky and I lived uh, quite a distance away from my parents. Dad was pastoring in Kentucky at the time, and we drove to Kentucky to visit my parents Dad was the pastor. My mom's there. Uh, We we come into the house after a church service in the evening. We come into the house. And and I don't know why, but that daughter opened up an umbrella in the house. It's a silly thing that kids do. Big deal. She opened the umbrella. And when she opened the umbrella, it hit my mom. In that moment, we're going to have a quick lesson sweetie we don't open umbrellas in the house okay let's close the umbrella everything's fine all right now you need to tell grandma you're sorry for hitting her with the umbrella she looked at me and went remember what i said foolishness is bound in the heart of a child sweetie i'm going to give you one opportunity you tell grandma you're sorry Well, sorry, Grandma, this is going to be a learning moment because right now the most important thing in this entire room is her heart. And so we made a little walk down the hallway, we went to the bathroom, we walked in the bathroom, three little swats across the bum, you need to learn, there's payment for sin. She cried, of course, and I'll tell you, those three swats, anybody could have taken them, but she cried because she's now embarrassed in front of Dad that she's had three swats, and we walk back out, and we go back to the kitchen, and there's my mom. My mom's standing there, and she, my mom's ready to go. It's okay. Just forget about it. And I, no, 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 Mom. This is a moment. Sweetie, you're going to tell Grandma that you're sorry. Are you kidding me? Back to the bathroom. This happened four times. Finally, we're in the bathroom. What are you going to say to Grandma when we get back out there? I'm sorry. Okay, let's go do it. We walk back out. There's my mom. My mom is like, come on, child. And, all right, what are you going to say to Grandma? We've been four times already, and she said that she's going to do it in the bathroom. Now, come on. And in this time, my mom is crying. I'm choking up. And as I'm walking down the hall back to the bathroom, guess what she does? I'm sorry, Grandma, I'm sorry, Grandma, I'm sorry, Grandma, I'm sorry, Grandma. It's too late. You see, delayed obedience is disobedience. Hear that well. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Jesus talked about that in a parable in the New Testament. He said, a father told his sons, go out into the field, and one of them stayed back and decided not to go, but later in the day he went out. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Now we're back in the bathroom again. Swat again. Would you believe it took two more times? At the end of that evening, my daughter's heart had been reshaped. You say you might have damaged her psyche. Friend, you know what happened? My daughter realized that it's important for her to obey her father. I'm teaching my child to obey God by teaching her to obey me. And guys, lest you think, oh, Matt's got it all figured out. I know my whole laundry list, and I'm sure there are other things that I got completely wrong. But it's oh so important to teach our children to obey us. And it happens at six years old, foolishness bound in their heart. Six years old, refuses to go to school. 12 years old, refuses to put down the video game so that he can come for dinner. 16 years old, he refuses to come home on time all of them, displays a foolishness in their heart. God's commanded us as parents, teach them to obey us. It's important for their good. So what does this look like? And I want to spend the rest of our time together. Look over to 2 Samuel 23. What's this look like? While you're turning there to 2 Samuel, I want to give you a little tip. It's much easier to teach them when they're one-year-old and two-year-old to obey much easier to teach them then than it is to teach them at 15. If a child makes it to 15 and has never had to obey you before, there's a really good chance that that child has built up a massive kingdom within himself. Those are Paul Tripp's words. He's got his own kingdom of one, and he's put his army on alert. Anybody that comes against him, he'll fight back. And is there any question that we have problems within our society? as many children have not been taught to obey their parents. Second Samuel chapter 23, the first four verses give us David's dying words. And you remember King David, beloved king of Israel. We've spoken about him over the last couple of weeks. So these are David's dying words. And I want to answer the question, how do I lead my children? I'm going to see this in these verses. Let me read verses 1 and 2, and it just kind of outlines what's to come. These be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high and anointed of the God of, Abraham, uh, God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. So he's leading up to tell us what God said. It's coming in verse 3. but He's saying, I've had the privilege, the son of Jacob, the king of Israel, The beloved psalmist of the Lord, I've had the privilege of speaking God's words. And he said, what I'm about to say is from the Lord. So watch what he says in verse 3. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. Here it is. He that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springeth out of the earth by clear shining after rain. So he says, how do you lead? What's a leader look like? He says it in verse 3. He that rules over men. So let me just take that statement and remind you, if you're a parent and you're demanding obedience from your children, you know what you're doing? You're leading them. You're showing them that you're the authority. You are ruling over them. And so what should a ruler or a leader look like? And if you're going to be a good parent, what should it look like? And the first one is there in verse 3. He will be just. What's it look like to be a godly parent? What's it look like to do this well, lead well? You've got to be just. And the word just, you can hear it within the root of justice. It literally means righteous, to to be right, to live right, and I want to live right as a parent. If you're not righteous, you cannot lead well. If you're not just, you cannot lead well. So I want you to think about that for just a moment as you as a parent, what's your relationship with the Heavenly Father? If you're trying to point your children towards them as a godly parent, if you're not godly yourself, then you're not leading with justice. You're not able to fulfill this call of God in your life to lead justly. You, you aren't doing it yourself. How can you ever model it? You can't say to your son, son, don't do as I do, but do as I say. That doesn't work. I had a friend when I was growing up. We went to school together from the time we were in uh, kindy all the way to grade 12. We were in class together. And I remember one day we were about grade six and, and I and I caught him smoking I mean, little ones, listen, don't listen right now. Of all the things in the world, come on. And I, I caught him, he's smoking, he's grade six, and, and we're both grade six together, and I remember asking him, buddy, why are you doing this? And that's back in the day when we didn't really pay attention to lung cancer and all that stuff. This was just a nasty habit. Why are you doing this? He said, you know, my parents, they tell me not to do it. But I know they do it. I see my dad, sometimes he sneaks and then he smokes. I've seen my mom, she sneaks and she smokes. And they always, th- they think I don't know, but I've I I seen them do it. And so they tell me not to do it, but how can they tell me not to do something that they do? The kid's 12 years old and he's got life figured out. Be just. You can't ask your son to do something that you're not going to model yourself. And so in teaching our children to do right, we've got to do it first. And then also the, the idea of justice is, is there's going to be a level playing field within the home. And so I can't treat one child different than the other children. I can't say, well, this one's my favorite son, so I'm going to do this, this, and this for that one. But those, and eh, not so much. No, you don't get to have favorites. And while I'm talking about favorites, I know that our society, in such a beautiful picture, it... it enjoys the the wonderful thing of adoption we do it so much within our society and I'm so thankful for it but listen to me well there is no place within a home if you've adopted a child there is no place for that child to be treated as though he or she is the servant of the home there's no place for that there's no space for favoritism be just I'm dad, and it doesn't matter whether you're my biological child or you're my adopted child. You are in my home, and I will treat you justly, and I will treat you with love and care, and I will take care of you just like I will take care of all of my other children. And even the one who disappoints you, and families, let's be honest, there are children that will grow up in your home, and it will feel like I've poured everything I've got into this one. What's going wrong Listen, ultimately, that's between that child and God. If you've done everything that you're supposed to do, at some point you have to give it over to the Lord. But friend, treat them justly. And by the way, there's several ways to not parent. Don't do it with abuse. I mentioned it earlier. You leave here and you take up the rod to spank your child and Anger, or you abuse your child with your words. That's wicked. There's no space for that. Verbal abuse has no place in a just parent's life. And you shouldn't be doing it impatiently. I've said it twice already in this sermon, and I hope that it will ring true in your mind and it will soak down into your soul. When Junior is showing disobedience, that becomes the most important moment of your day. If you let it go, what are you going to do? Address it tomorrow when he's forgotten? Or leave it until it gets bigger? This is the most important moment as God has allowed him to show his rebellion and an expression of his rebellion in this moment. And so maybe if that means you're driving down the road and you can't literally stop the car, you look at him and say, Junior, we're going to have a conversation about this as soon as we get to the destination. And maybe you're going to the shopping center and you can't talk about it in public and take him into the bathroom. You can certainly talk about it in the vehicle. Or you're driving to the house and you get to the house, Junior, you did this and this and this on the way to the home and you were being rebellion, rebellious before we go on to make dinner or before we go on to take care of other things, we will take care of this issue first. And you're not doing it with anger. You've realized that God has allowed this moment to come up in your life, yes, for your sanctification, but oh, how much greater, on a greater scale for His sanctification. He needs to learn how to obey If you can't grasp the foundational issues of His obedience in your life, the rest of the things you do for parenting, you might as well pick them up and throw them out the window. He's got to learn how to obey. You do it with patience. You don't do it self-centered. Listen to the words of Ephesians 6-4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but raise them up to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I've harped on the raise them up to the admonition of the Lord. I've harped on that. But the provoke not your children to wrath part, that often gets overlooked. You know what that looks like? It looks like self-centered parenting. If you're sitting there in the chair and the newspaper is five steps away from you, And you holler for your son to come from whatever he's doing, whether it's in another room or it's outside with his friends. Hey, son, get in here and give me the newspaper. Get up off your lazy rear end and go get it yourself, dad. Son, go get my shoes for me. Son, go shine my shoes for me. Daughter, go clean the dishes. Hang on a second. They're not your servants. They're your children. Raise them up to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There are such things as assigning chores. That's important. But, oh, make sure that assigning chores is not your way of getting out of everything. It's not with self-centeredness. And it's not allowing, listen to this, not allowing your mood to control how you react. I wonder if you had this happen as a child. I wonder if you watched when Dad came home to see how is Dad's reaction today. Is it going to be a good evening or is it going to be a bad evening? I know that there are children, and I know this because I've heard them say it, I know there are children that have gone to sleep at night wondering whether Dad was going to kill the whole family in the night you want to talk about messing up the psyche? Rod had nothing to do with that. Oh, be careful. Moms and dads, yeah, you have a bad day, but that bad day should not be taken out on your children. And so if you're going to be a good leader. You're going to show good authority and teach your children well. Be just. And then he continues on in verse 3 with another way that you should be parenting how do I lead my children one be just second with the fear of God the God of Israel he says in verse 3 the God of Israel the rock of Israel spake to me he that rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God dad and mom you need to have a healthy fear of God You can forget about trying to raise your children to the nurture and admonition of God if you don't have your own fear of God. This is foundational as well. David wrote these words or spoke these words at the end of his life, and for the greater portion of his life he'd been a king, but you remember before he was a king, he was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he would know how it is that you lead. You see, the shepherd goes out to the front and he speaks and the sheep follow in after him. And as the sheep move along, the sheep don't make suggestions about where we go. The sheep don't say, "Uh, you know, we're going up the hill right now. Kind of not fun. We'd rather go down the hill. Is that all right? No, the shepherd knows where they're going. The shepherd looks around and sees, oh, there's a pitfall over there, or there's something dangerous up there, or there's a wolf that's watching us back here, or there's a lion that's made his way into the midst of us, and the shepherd is doing his job to help find provision and provide protection. And the shepherd is looking, and by the way, you and I as parents, every leader should be doing that, and you and I as parents at the smallest nucleus within the home, Parents, be looking after the children like a shepherd would look after the sheep. I know where we're supposed to go. I've got more experience, guys. At seven years old, I know that you think you've got it figured out, but I've got a lot more life experience than you do. And so follow me, and I'll tell you what we're supposed to do, and you obey. The shepherd or the parents is the one who is supposed to call the shots. I'm mind-boggled as I look at international news, currently within the West, there's a giant push for transgenderism. And one of the issues that comes up, and probably the loudest issue within that issue, is the fact that some children think, where they got the thought is a whole other discussion, but some children think, well I was born a girl, but really I'm supposed to be a boy. And parents will go along with it and follow along with it. And this eight-year-old little girl thinks that she's supposed to be a boy. And parents will follow her lead. And they will provide medicine, surgery, clothes, and embrace the child's decision. Do you remember what I said? We as parents are supposed to lead. And we, within our society, will look at that and we'll say, oh, that's so foolish. But can I just bring that home for us for a moment? Because how many of us will allow an eight-year-old to tell us that he needs to have a cell phone? Or a 12-year-old that she needs to have access to the Internet because she wants to run her own YouTube channel. Or he wants to be able to do research for school. And you and I know that they're one click away from the dark web. And just as silly as it is for an eight year old to tell his parents that, uh, for an eight year old to tell her parents that she should be a different gender, just as silly is for us to say, yes, okay, eight year old, 10 year old, 12 year old, you tell me how you want to run your life and I'll walk along with you. Absolutely not. God's le- left us as their leader. We call the shots. We need to teach our children to obey God by obeying us. I'll close with verse 4, because I think verse 4 gives us so much hope. Let me read verse 4. And He, that's the godly leader, in our context, the godly parent, He shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springs out of the earth by clear shining after the rain he, or she, mom, dad, lead with justice, lead with the fear of God, and what will you be like to that child? You will be like, not the sun rising, look closely at the words, as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds. That's Ten minutes ago, it was pitch black, dark outside. We didn't know what the day was going to bring. Is it going to be a rainy day? Is it going to be a cloudy day? Is it going to be a clear day? We have no idea. Ten minutes ago, it was pitch black, dark outside. And then the light of the morning began to come. And the light of the morning changes the entire sky. The sun has not risen yet. But the light of the morning changes the entire sky from black to some of the most beautiful blue colors that you can see in that early morning as the sun begins to rise, and now hope fills the sky. And I love the one that he says, and you can look at the sky and there's not a single cloud in it. That's what a godly leader, a godly parent is like. And the other picture that he uses is that of a a brand new shoot of grass after the rain has come. It was only a few weeks ago that it was dry, 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 dry here. And when it was dry, our field out here, not only the lower field was not only dry, but all the grass was gone from the children having run back and forth across and broken all of those dry blades of grass, and it looked like when the rain comes, it's going to be a mud pit. That's what I thought. But you know what happened? The rain came, and it wasn't a mud pit there was a whole bunch of shoots underneath the ground, and they all began to pop up. Those are a picture of godly parents who have put work in and put work in. They've been just, and there'll be days that are just absolutely pitch black. There'll be days that it's just dry and barren, but then one day, the light begins to arise within their soul. And the new shoot begins to come forth. And I hear the echoes of Paul's words from Ephesians. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Dads, raise them up to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I hear echoes of Deuteronomy 6. Teach these things. Teach them diligently to your children when you're rising up and when you're sitting down, when you're walking by the way. So teach your children to obey God by obeying you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness that you've shown us. Thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, be a sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, thank you for the call that you've placed upon our lives to shepherd our children, to raise them up. I pray that we would do it justly and in the fear of God, not selfishly, not impatiently, but instead, Lord, I pray that we would be a rising light in their life, provide guidance for them. I pray that we would be faithful to you with the fear of God. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've shown upon us I pray we would take these things and apply them in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.